0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fraud Boxer podcast. Today I am joined by Cambria Valente, uh, who is currently at Forder. And she is, what is your title these days? I'm a solutions consultant now. Solutions consultant. So, what does that mean for now? And then we'll get into your whole life and all that. But, what does solutions consultant actually mean?
1: Sure. So, I partner with our account executives, our sales reps, to consult our prospects on where Forder might best fit within their workflow. consult on their current tech stack, decisions that need to be made, et cetera. So a lot of things like that, building out architecture diagrams and so
0: on. So it's different than customer success. It's a little more technical than that. Very. (laughs) Got it. Okay. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So um, let's talk about how you got to where you're at today, kind of your journey here. Uh, This is more of what another episode of like get to meet a person in the fraud industry. Um, We have a lot of people that are either fighting on the fraud side or – We don't get a whole lot of like vendor, vendor talk of actual solution providers. Like I had Frank Turner on an episode and he talked more about machine learning, but I think it's interesting to talk to somebody that we as, as fraud fighters interact with on a regular basis, uh, to make sure that we have success in our, in our products as we use them. So, uh, where'd you come from? How'd you get here? You know, that sort of thing. So let's (laughs) let's start it back as far as you want to (laughs) go.
1: Well, I was born on a nice spring day in March of 1994 in the great city of American Fort Just kidding. <laughs>
0: 1994. Just kidding. Well, you weren't really born in 94, were you?
1: I was. I'm a, I'm a, oh. I am I'm. feel weird saying that I'm like a baby still because I'm almost 30, but yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I just, um, I got to go get some hair dye after this, you know, so... <laughs> Get rid of these no, grays. No, no. You're
1: aging like fine wine. Don't even say that. Okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So, what did you do first? Like, so you, sure. I think mean, you, you told me you started in the call center. So, you were doing call center work. Was that, was that at Jet? Um, or was that, yeah. Jet? So, uh,
1: so I would say in my career, like, formerly started at jet.com, which was the e commerce retailer that was purchased by or acquired by Walmart several years back, but this was pre acquisition. Um, and I actually had a couple of odd jobs here and there. I worked at Chick fil A for a long time oh. and then I worked for a subprime leasing company. Um, but that's uh, interesting work to say the least. What'd you do with the subprime? <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: yes, it is a little um, predatory. I,
1: yeah, so, but I didn't work with the customers of the company. I worked with our merchant partners. So um, we were point of sale, uh, like short term, no finance needed type leasing. And so I worked with the retail partners supporting a relationship with them answering questions working with them on the like I guess loans or liens that we were we they were taking out uh through our company um which also had me dipping my toes into underwriting work pretty often so supporting the underwriting department as well which I guess could have been my first foray into the fraud and risk That's space That's kind of risk yeah if You want to look at it that man. way <laughs> Yeah yeah Um, But then I found myself at Jed.com because I just wanted to get out of that space. Um, So I had just taken a job at their customer service call center. Um, And while I was there, a friend of mine actually worked in their fraud department as an analyst. And she had kind of tapped them on the shoulder like, hey, can we hire my friend? I think she'd do really well here. Um, So I applied for it. But at the time, they had like a tenure requirement. um, But I've never been one for following rules. So I applied anyway, even though I was only like 30 days in or something like that. Um, and I guess they liked what they saw cause they, they took me onto the team. Um, and from there I spent, you know, the first several months doing what most of us analysts did, <laughs> um, just doing a lot of manual review for orders and kind of the lower level trend analysis and things like that. But then ultimately I found myself working on more specialized projects for things like refunds abuse, returns abuse. I partnered with our payments team pretty often, um, analyzing different, like unsuccessful payment capture trends and things like that um and i was wow. there for about two years so did a little bit of everything while i was there doing
0: all of that in two years huh that seems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that seems like a lot
1: <laughs> it's the life of a startup life uh, of a startup wear many hats
0: <laughs> was jet really considered a startup then because i think i've only really known them post uh post acquisition i bought a couple of things from them their pricing how they mm-hmm. did their pricing was kind of interesting you know uh, like mm-hmm. there's like three different prices or whatever it's uh I didn't have a really good time the first time, but I will say that their customer service Sounds team did right. make it right. Yeah. Yeah, it was um very much broken item and they're like, Well, you bought it with the no returns thing. I'm like, Yeah, but it can't be broken. <laughs> like it's gotta mm-hmm. still be exactly. what I actually exactly. ordered. So they they ended exactly. up making it right and, and it worked out okay. But I mean it just I don't have any ever with Amazon existing in the world, I don't have a whole lot of need for yet, well, you know.
1: It's actually interesting you brought that up because Jet is Jet's existence it is kind of what spurred a lot of Amazon's kind of like customer is always right uh, development. Um, That's now beating even us, that...
0: uh, biting us all in the ass over here in the fraud world because the customer always thinks they're right and gets to keep their product if they uh, have any complaints about it at all, that, that, that sort of exactly. thing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So the entire model was built to combat the Amazon of the time, which wasn't quite as adept at super quick shipping. Um, like Jet's whole model was like, how can we get you the item you want as quickly as possible and for the lowest price possible? So that's probably one of the other reasons that um, Amazon started building um, distribution, like more distribution centers Mm -hmm. stateside. Um, After Walmart acquired them, Jet then had, you know, the behemoth funds behind them to kind of really lean into that model. So Amazon had to end up. So I wasn't there for that part. I actually left uh, pretty shortly after the acquisition. Um, because my husband, well, boyfriend at the time got a job in Arizona, so we had to move out there. So I had to.
0: So then you had to move to well. Arizona. So that's a perfect transition. It so what sure happened is. when you moved uh, to Arizona?
1: <laughs> well, uh, with nothing but the clothes on my back, so to speak, I figured, Hey, there's a lot of banks with headquarters or like customer service headquarters or offices in Phoenix. Um, everyone always needs a fraud analyst. Maybe I'll try something new. I don't know. I honestly had no idea what I was uh, going to get into next. But uh, I do prefer to slide, fly by the seat of my pants. So I figured whatever happens, it'll work out for me. Um, I, I feel like that's one oh, of my many... It's a lot of faith. Well, m- maybe, I mean... Yeah, a lot of faith in the universe. It's kind of how I le- live my life. But a few weeks after we got down here, I got a call from my previous supervisor, manager at Jet saying, hey, remember that vendor we used to use, emailage? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. Uh, he He said... Our customer success manager was here a couple of weeks ago, and he said he's expanding his team and asked if I knew anyone in Phoenix. Uh, Any chance you'd be looking to to make a jump into a different career? I mean, it's still all fraud. And I was like, I mean, couldn't hurt to talk to him at least, right? I mean, I don't know what – I didn't know anything about customer success. In my head, it sounded more like customer service. Who knows what that meant?
0: Yeah,
1: um, that's what I always so thought it I was.
0: Like, I thought it was rebranded, yeah, uh, like just to make exactly. it sound more fancy. Exactly, I was
1: like, oh, I've done customer service before. I need a job, you know, whatever. Um, so I let I told him to give him my phone number, and uh, this guy calls me, and he is like, "We need people from the fraud space. Like, we're really looking to add that kind of expertise to our team." And I was like, "That's kind of interesting. What do you mean?" And he was like, "Well." here's what customer success does. Uh, We are a vendor and we sell to businesses. So you would be supporting, you know, business relationships and supporting our sales guys and uh, doing upsells and contract negotiations and supporting product implementations and all words that I had never really heard together before and never had really had any interest in uh, supporting. I thought that, you know, in, in, in my head, all sales guys were like used car sales guys, right? Well, you uh, know,
0: they still kind of are skeezy, for the most part. A little bit
1: cheesy, a little bit undercut. I've met quite yeah. a few really solid ones in my yeah. time. They're a so.
0: few and far between, you know, but every once in a while, there's a good car salesman too yeah. who's out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess because I'm not the one being sold to, I, I might have a little bit of a different <laughs> yeah. opinion and perspective.
0: Wait, <laughs> wait till you get the same email every single day for eight days in a row. Hey, did you see my last email? I'm sure. I, I very much did. I don't give a shit about it.
1: Hey, am I barking up the wrong tree?
0: <laughs> yeah, he barked up that wrong tree and now he's gonna get the uh, he's gonna get the actual bite. But uh what what year was this when when you made the transition down to Phoenix and, and started with uh with emailage? Uh
1: twenty seventeen.
0: Oh, it was okay. So that's pretty recent too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's all relative. It feels like a lifetime ago. It does but... actually you know, like <laughs> yeah. looking
0: back, like I guess through the math like while I was saying, like the words were coming out, and I was like, that's five years ago, you know.
1: Yeah, that was a five long years ago—that's ago. crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I
1: took the call. He talked to me. I was so—I don't want to say terrified, but the the idea of it was so far outside of anything I'd ever done. I was an analyst. You know, I spent all of my time at the computer. I actually took on a lot of those projects at at Jet, so I wouldn't have to talk to customers a lot, um, and I could just play around with data and build my spreadsheets and like make discoveries. Um, but he talked me into taking an interview and I show up with, you know, the three jobs on my resume. Like, here I am. Are you sure you want to hire me? And within a few weeks, they'd made me an offer. And I uh, st- still don't know why they went with that. But I think the rest is kind of history, which we'll get into. But that's yeah. how I ended up at emailage.
0: So let's let's talk about emailage a little bit since we're there, just for those people yeah. that might not know, because um, there are a lot of new people in the industry and there are people that listen to this that aren't in the industry. But emailage was a product that we used uh, in our risk scoring. So I'll kind of let you do the whole like uh, spiel about them because you worked for them for so long. And I think that what you've typed out on our notes is very nice here. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. So emailage is, uh, I, I wouldn't say obviously, but is a fraud prevention solution and it's more uh, in retrospect, it's more of like a, uh, an add-on tool, a supplementary tool for a lot of the platforms that are in this space. Um, and it was built with that in mind. So in 2012, when it was founded, uh, some of the folks that founded the company, a lot of them were like Amex fraud prevention alumni. And one of the things that they had identified as a huge gap in the fraud prevention space was uh, like risk assessment surrounding the email address itself and how much information there can be gleaned from a few key attributes like does the is the email actually real does it uh does the person who's making the application or signing up or making a transaction actually own that email how old is the email address and so on and so they set out to build a solution kind of centered around those few things so initially that's what it was it was a a risk they they developed an algorithm to determine the likelihood that a given email would be eventually associated with some type of risky behavior, typically fraud. Um, And it was things like they do things like validate the existence of the email and the domain. Is it a real domain? Um, How old the email was and so on. So the actual creation date. Um, but then eventually, a lot of the, because of the Yahoo breach and a lot of things like that, uh, the email service providers started um, protecting a lot of the ownership data yeah, around the that. emails a lot more closely. Yeah, so consumer yes. privacy things in addition to a lot of the breaches that were happening. So uh, I wouldn't say it crippled the solution, but it, it caused our teams to kind of look beyond the email. It's like, okay, so if we don't have all of this information that we're used to having – what else can we use to bolster our, our current approach to assessing for fraud? So we started looking at things like, well, if we can't get the creation date, maybe we can start looking into how long the email's been used online. Yep. So when's the first time it's been seen online and things like that. And then slowly started adding other things into it, like the name that the customer was providing at the time of the application or checkout their at their billing information and phone information and so on. And then they found that they could do risk assessment around those attributes as well to kind of all feed into this risk output score low score if it was a good quote-unquote uh customer or somebody who wasn't going to commit fraud and a high score if it was someone who was going to commit fraud
0: yeah so i use that solution myself at a number of companies for a number of years uh, both before the yahoo breach where we could actually get the true creation date from Yahoo's actual system and then after when it was more network-based. And I think that the, the timing actually was probably fine when Yahoo made that change because you guys had had enough customers in the system that exactly. we could still reliably get pretty good data about um, the email and its, its life cycle. Uh, I, I actually liked the solution a lot. I used it. Extensively, I used it mostly as a step up. So if I had something that I was on the fence about, then I would ping you guys and say, "Hey, what do you think is like a mm-hmm. secondary choice to try and see if I could make a decision and, and move on with my life?" Um, yeah, I remember. Like, I think I think it was twenty. Was it twenty eighteen? I was on the advisory board for a year, year and a mm-hmm. half in there, and that—that's uh, when actually I met you. Was up at uh, an event in San Francisco for the. the I introduced board.
1: myself to you three times because everyone in San Francisco looks the same. They're tall. Yeah. They're wearing puffer, puffer uh, vests from Patagonia.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm a big, tall, white guy wearing a puffy vest, you know, but. Uh, and you I let ha-
1: me do it three times.
0: Well, you know, I got to be nice. And I, and I, you know, in, in all honesty, I probably was looking the same around saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. Shaking, shaking hands, saying, nice sure. to meet you. Not even remembering <laughs> the name at all. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that same stuff. Uh, I, I'm trying to get better at it, but as, as we talked about earlier, I'm advanced in my age. So the memory isn't quite there as, as, as what it used to be. It's not
1: quite what it used to be. Yeah.
0: You know, like one, one of these days, you know, I'm going to get on some ginkgo biloba. I'm going to start taking Prevagen, already. you know.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. I, I still commute to work both, uh, two miles in the snow uphill each way. It's, it's just, of
1: course, of bedroom course. with
0: light. but I do have, um, rollers, new caster rollers, uh, the, the rollerblade wheels on my chair. Cause I need a smooth roll because otherwise it hurts. Me of not. course. Yeah.
1: Of course you do.
0: It's the little things, but, uh, so you, you actually were my rep at, mm-hmm. um, during when I was at the, when I was at master, you were my rep for emailage. Uh, and then your role started to change while you were there. So mm-hmm. you, you were always pretty good at getting us the data and a lot of insight, um, how we needed to update our models, how we needed to update, how we're sending you data, how we were using the data. Uh, we used it in a pretty automated fashion, which I think a lot of people were doing now. There's still the odd ad hoc users that dump an email into the actual, uh, interface and get a response mm-hmm. there. That's more in the manual review teams that are doing it that way, but for automated for large volume, you know, there's use of the API was was always safe. Um so you were always great with with bringing us the right data that we needed to see to make those changes. But then your role started to kind of change. So let's talk about that.
1: Sure. So, I mean, as anyone who's worked for a startup knows, uh there's there's always something's always pivoting, right? There's always something new that needs to be done teams are expanding, roles are opening up and so on. And eventually my team uh, of CSMs expanded and we needed more than just like a director, a VP, we needed like senior roles um, to focus on more, you know, strategic initiatives, both internally and with our clients. Um, so I was promoted into that position to focus on, again more strategic initiatives internally and with clients. And around that time we were developing like a, an add-on or an enhancement to our product. So a lot of what I was doing internally was facilitating um, the discussions between our product teams and the clients who had been selected or volunteered for beta that product and mm-hmm. uh, working with the analytics folks to kind of parse the feedback, what's working, what's not. Um, a lot of internal stuff around the customer advisory board, I was able to help organize um our first ever user or, well first and only <laughs> uh first and only ever user conference which we'll get into why there was only one um in just a minute and then um that
0: wasn't the one in san francisco it was, was
1: it? yeah it was super fun that was
0: the only one yeah was it was it those photos that i have on my phone was that the only yeah, reason why that's the one like,
1: that's exactly there was only like 20
0: of us no
1: there Uh, were uh (laughs) well there were only about 20 of us at like the after party
0: (laughs) that's what i meant that that no 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 that's not why there was only only one one.
1: um we'll get into it um well part of it was the subsequent acquisition of lexus about a year and a half later but so um and then the other part of my role that really shifted was um I went from supporting like 25 clients to only supporting like five or six of our most strategic clients, um, which I think up until a few months before the acquisition, Ticketmaster was one of ours. So I got to stay in touch with everybody
0: else. And I was like,
1: nope. (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) No, I didn't. Um, so not only like the clients that I was supporting shifted, but the way I was supporting them. Um, so a lot less of the stuff I was doing, like you mentioned, so gathering data, working POCs, and things like that. And, um, doing more like actually pretty similar to what I do now, just on the other side of the, the sales process. So a lot of, consultative type of work, like how they can better use the tool because they'd already exhausted all of the options of purchase. Um, uh, new ways to use a tool, a lot of um, kind of like feature request exploration and things like that.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of us in the front, we always used it, it at purchase, you know, purchase point, uh, check the emails, mm-hmm. what they're doing. I think there's, uh, as these rewards, activations, these abuse things happen, you know, using a service like that, uh, earlier in the process, at account create is is super beneficial, yeah. especially if if people are just generating fake emails like a ton, you could you could just weed that right out, you know. Mm-hmm. So yep. So and
1: there's a lot of but... oh, go ahead.
0: No, you go ahead because uh, we're, you're you're the guest oh. on the thing. I'm I talk all day <laughs> long, you know. So you're the guest.
1: <laughs> so can I? <laughs> um, I think the, the the last thing that I would just or just something to add on to that, the thing that was really cool about emailage is how flexible it could be. Um, it was a really narrow product, like it only really only focused on a few key things. But the way it could be applied was, I wouldn't say limitless, but um, I had several clients who had us plugged in at like a dozen or more use cases, um, at different point, whether they had different product lines or different types of uh, uh, like applications. So if it was a, a financial services customer, like their credit, their regular account sign ups, the various offerings, and then. You know things like account maintenance instead of just the purchase point of purchase, like you mentioned. You can put it. Um, oh, people change
0: their email if they're sending like exactly. money or something. Who the recipient is, you can use mm-hmm. it in just a ton of different places. Yeah, yeah. so Same thing with the IP narrow, but, yeah,
1: yeah. So a narrow, a narrow product, but one that was incredibly deep in terms of its its like scope of use. And one of the reasons we explored so many different ways to use it was because. Email Edge was kind of unique in the marketplace as a, a tool because our consortium, which was global, um, was unique. Not, not a lot of add-on tools have a, a super wide or geographically diverse consortium network. Um, and particularly for clients that were adding us onto their platform, it was kind of to, um, what's the word, like enhance the consortium from that platform. You know, might might have been a Venn diagram, but we had coverage where the platform wouldn't, and the platform would have coverage where we weren't. So email was a really um, beneficial yeah. complement to a lot of the yeah. solutions for yeah, that I reason would, alone.
0: Yeah, I mean I definitely in my, all my use cases was obvious with you guys was to fill fill a gap where there was where there mm-hmm. was a gap from from coverage of one of my other tools. Um so then so you were there for a while, yeah. a few years, um and then, it ended in twenty nine. No,
1: twenty twenty.
0: In twenty twenty, mm-hmm. late twenty nineteen, but twenty twenty is when it was announced. Um, something exciting happened, and you guys got what every startup uh, dreams of mm-hmm. uh, outside of. Oh, you got acquired. Exactly. You got acquired for a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I was, I was really happy for you guys. Um, I was with Amador uh, in Nashville shortly after that news broke, and uh, was just congratulating him and. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure he was had, a lot of a uh, lot of. Beers. Sure he was over the
1: moon. But <laughs> those of you don't yeah, know, Amador. I was, was... I was really happy for you guys, though. Yeah. So. yeah, it was a really, really exciting time. And for those of you who don't know, Amador was one of the founders. So I'm sure he, not only out of pride, but his stake in the company was quite elated <laughs> when we finally. Oh, yeah, you know, that. no, we don't
0: need to talk about the financial. I'm just happy for the technology, sure. right? <laughs> You know, whether you can buy a yacht or not, oh, like, yeah. you know, it's just icing on the cake. I mean, I definitely want a yacht. That's the goal of this podcast, actually. Here we to go. Get a yacht. There now, we that go. yacht might be a popsicle stick uh, boat in my bathtub, but, you know, yacht's a yacht at the end of the day. Now, um, so you guys got to buy out, and then uh, Lexus Nexus was the, mm-hmm. the purchasing company. They own products like Metric, they have their own solutions. Um, they just bought Behavioral Sack, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. uh, is the name of the company. Yeah. And, uh, so they're going to fold you guys into their offering. Now, they've been doing a pretty good job of folding, in my opinion, of folding the, the products that they buy into the Nexus risk portfolio. Um, I have my own opinion about how it looks because I think I, I like pretty shiny things and I think that it's like very to business on how they do it. But the fact is like they've done a really good job, especially with threat metrics, of integrating all the Nexus products into that suite It uh, were in a way that you could just basically click. Mm-hmm. And start using those products. So, what is your opinion of the acquisition? I'm sure it was fantastic (laughs) because legally, it probably has to be. Um, But what kind of change? What was life like during the the transition, and then after the transition? Overall,
1: it was—I would say—it was a really great experience. Um, The a lot of the things that I would say weren't weren't because of the acquisition itself or because of LexisNexis, but because the acquisition was finalized literally the week before all hell broke loose in 2020. It was literally announced like the second week of March, which was when most of us found out. Um, so we had really only been able to meet like maybe a dozen or so folks from Lexus before the world shut down. Um, so they had never uh, done an acquisition uh, like virtually before. Uh, they Their entire like approach to an acquisition is to have tons of folks on sites to eventually either like not take over the office, but like move into the office and make it a Lexus office or have them migrate to one of their other facilities, like a, like a true acquisition and like merging of the teams. Um, but we weren't able to do that. And, um, as many of you probably know, Lexus is not a young organization by any means. So for something like that, that's unprecedented to occur, Um, It it was really, I would say, challenging for them to pivot and work out a new strategy for how to absorb a a very young lean company who's used to being able to do things virtually and uh, move quickly and make fast adjustments on the fly and things like that too into their very slow moving kind of static. Like it's the the difference between like, like rowing, like trying to navigate a rowboat and sailing a, like a massive cruise liner, you know, it's really hard to change directions. So I would say that most of the kind of uh, gripes I have are related to that more than anything else. And it was also the first like gigantic global organization I had ever worked for. Um, like even a Chick-fil-A, even though that's a nationwide chain and it's a huge corporation, each uh, location is individually owned and operated. So um, it feels like a startup kind of thing, really fast paced, really dynamic, wear lots of hats, do lots of things, change things on the fly when you want to change them. And if you can't at least explore the changes. And so that was kind of culture shock for me, I would say. Um, but ultimately I think Lexus did their best to take care of us and, uh, uh, absorb us into the teams that made sense. But, um, for my team specifically, Lexus had never done anything like what we were doing with customer success. Um. Lexis is kind of known for having large account management teams where everyone kind of has their role and everyone has one hat and they do that really well. And what we were doing at emailage was the exact opposite of that. So they had they had this uh, largest team of account reps who were incredibly well versed in emailage and, and the fraud industry and how to manage the relationships with those accounts and weren't quite sure where to kind of plug them in. So that took probably over a year to figure out where to put everyone on my team and where to absorb us and how to best like utilize us instead of just forcing us to c- comply, I suppose, or, or fit the mold.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking back now of like all my Lexus reps <laughs> and like, yeah, I've always had the same one. And, and every time like, I ask about a new product, like they do bring in like a specific person for that product. Yeah. yeah,
1: they bring in the subject matter expert, yeah. right? Which I think makes sense because they do have so many products under their portfolio. Um, but it was very different. And it was probably really challenge, challenging for a lot of folks on my team and myself included, because we were used to being the ones with the answers. And so not only did we not, but we weren't expected to, which was, I think it was, I mean, speaking for myself, it was like a blow to my pride, I would say.
0: Wow. That's, uh, that's really... Good and interesting feedback, you know, because like a lot of us, you know, a lot of us in the fraud world have, like, I've worked for startups and I've worked for big companies and I've worked for big companies that are pretending to be startups um, that still have like all of the <laughs> red tape, but they act like on a forward facing, sure, they're trying to act like they're the 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 quick new hot startup that's changing the world. But in reality, if you want to change one thing, it's an eighteen month development cycle just to like move like a logo to the other side, you know. But um, I've also been at companies that were were hired. Um, my experience was not as good as yours, um, where they just, they waited till the one year don't touch it clause was over and then they just laid us all off, uh, because you know, Bay Area salaries were expensive.
1: I will say a lot of us were, were nervous about that because, because it was such a large organization, there was a lot of red tape and I wouldn't say like, it wasn't that like there was a breakdown in communication. It was just that because it's a large company and they're publicly traded, we just like, didn't know a lot of things and we were used to knowing a lot of things. So there were several of members, not only of my team, but the company as a whole whole emailage who were really nervous about that kind of thing. But they, they, they kept, they even tried to, um, how do I say this? They did a lot to try and keep as many of us on as possible because I personally don't think between us and the podcast listeners, (laughs) I don't think Lex is really kind of, I don't think they knew what they were getting themselves into with emailage um, because there is, it's not like a misconception, just not a lot of folks who haven't used emailage really understand what it, what it was. Like I said, it was a, it's a narrow product, but it's incredibly deep and it does require a lot more like maintenance and support than some of the other quote unquote add on tools. So I don't think they really expected uh, needing as much help as they, as they, from us specifically, as they, as they ended up needing.
0: Well, that's why you all got to keep your jobs though, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think it was, it, it was more benevolent than that, but they did, they did, uh, work really hard to keep a lot of us on when, at the year mark, some of our, uh, some of the benefits of the acquisition <laughs> came to r- fruition. And, uh, I wouldn't say there was a mass exodus, but a bunch of you know. people ended Up, going back to startups myself included just a little bit later.
0: Yeah, so what you're saying is the stock matured, you could finally sell it and you could move on. With your uh, you know, we've all been there, I think it's no
1: secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so yeah, what's well, a perfect segue again? Um, so now you're at Forder, I am. How that happened, and what is Forder, and what are they up to these days? Because I think a lot of us heard of Forder um some of us have used forder in its infancy and i think it's a different product probably Absolutely. than it was in 2016 so um yeah talk about that. Sure Fordr.
1: so uh earlier this year um i i don't want to say i had like a spiritual experience at the end of last year but i at the end of last year i was just kind of like i felt very stagnated, I suppose. Um, And something just kind of clicked, like something needs to change and you need to take the opportunity when it comes. And at the beginning of this year, I was still at Lexus and my team, uh, my entire org had been restructured. And so I had moved to a different team and it was a different market than I'd ever supported and new team members. And um, I was going to be supporting more like the credit risk space instead of fraud, Um, which I had dipped my toes into with some of my previous clients. So I said, okay, sure, I'll be excited. This must be the new opportunity. Like I said, I trust the universe with most things, uh, most major life changes, and it hasn't failed me yet. So I said, sure, hey, why not? Um, And then not even six weeks into that, uh, which was enough time for me to start, like, actually committing myself to this new new position with the team's um, right when it starts
0: to make, make sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Hey, we'll make this work." You know, I, w- I was I, w- I was not going back to school, but I was taking some fun classes, just like for fun. Um, mostly because my father is actually coming of age, and he'd always wanted to see me graduate from college, and I haven't done that yet. But
0: okay. you know, oh, I thought no. you did. I actually didn't. I actually didn't. No, know I actually oh, probably wow. should have
1: mentioned that. What
0: kind of what classes were you I was taking? A,
1: a, a drawing class taking a drawing class and a mythology class
0: (laughs) okay those are definitely um those are
1: (laughs) they were they were for fun yeah they were for fun I I I had enrolled um in like 2018 in a nutrition and dietetics degree um but we're not here to talk about the insidiousy of the 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 wellness industry so uh, needless to say I dropped that major (laughs) it's, it's, it's highly profitable. I'll say that it's highly profitable when I, you know, can't blame you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm at Porter. Yeah. I was six weeks in and then a former colleague of mine um, reached out to me and said, Hey, my team uh, needs help you know we're forders growing my uh my team is new we need more support you're from the industry most of the folks on our team are in, from the identity space like i think you'd be a shoe in talk to my manager and i was like i don't know i think i'm good you know i was i i thought that i was like committed to this new opportunity that the universe had presented to me and he's like let's just get on the phone so i got on the phone with them and i don't even really know what it was that he said but by the end of that call i was like oh this is what the opportunity was, so I texted him immediately. I was like, "What's your manager's email? About? I'll, I'll talk to him." Um, and the whole process was actually kind of a roller coaster. I interviewed with him in like the next two days, and then uh, the VP of the department a few days after that, and then they let me know a few days after that that there was actually a hold on the position and that yeah. they uh, wouldn't be able to hire me until you know the virtually the end of the quarter which was another six weeks out and i was like okay that's fine sure i've got you know a, a, a trip that my team had qualified for last year that i'd like to go on anyway but then a couple weeks after that they said just kidding we're making you an
0: offer yeah so real quick just um, give give the people a sure. uh, quick rundown of forder sure. what it is what um, it does forder um, is
1: um, so a no, so fraud
0: because you probably yeah have I know. Got a few sales
1: calls. <laughs> so forder is a a fraud decisioning platform um and it works with a the way that it functions is via javascript and um, apis for decisioning similar to i would say probably threat metrics so if they're getting the session data and then also the customer inserted like entered data at the time of the event um and they leverage both machine learning and then some you know special patented magic machine learning algorithms in linking pattern linking things um i did not get a chance to clear anything yeah. with my marketing department and I didn't want this to be a sales pitch either. So, I think well, that pretty much sums it up.
0: I mean, it's technically not I'm Yeah, not yeah. Trying to make it a sales um, sales one, you know. I just yeah. I think that that's a good a good thing. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's a it's a fraud platform. It's it's what you would use um, yeah. to make your decisions on your team. You know, we all use different tools across the this mm-hmm. entire world depending on what our business yep. needs are for is as yep. another one. The platforms like a threat metrics or riskified, signified count, all no, the, yeah. those it's, types it's of things. It's not like a yeah. an add on. It's not and a bolt it's, on. It's, the, a, it's a standalone the
1: primary platform. Um, like points of decisioning with the various use cases that fall underneath those are like post, like pre-purchase things like account creation and sign in, um, the actual purchase itself. So you know, standard fraud mitigation, chargeback mitigation, ATO, and things, um, and then as well as, or I guess promo abuse as well, and then um, also, protecting against post-purchase behaviors like returns abuse and refund abuse and things like that.
0: Yep, so that's hitting us all kind of right now.
1: pillars. Yeah, yeah. it sure is. Guys, is that
0: what you it's... guys call it internally, the pillars?
1: No, that's just the way. We actually have it on like a little like flywheel is what we call it, but oh, okay. pillars makes more sense yeah, to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, just... <laughs> Because a, a wheel, a, well, a wheel never stops, you know. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that, yeah, three distinct kind of like product lines, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm, I think. Um, you know, you see a lot of the the, the tools right now you know, diversifying their offerings into other places and kind of positioning their tools as outside of payments fraud, because you know we all are seeing returns abuse, you know, refund abuse uh account create abuse just abusive behavior i I talk about it probably on like every one of these podcasts but abusive behavior is quickly becoming um more costly than actually fraudulent behavior and chargebacks these days so yeah so so what do you what's what's your role at the uh at the these days like
1: so that's uh the solutions consulting what i do every day is i collaborate with my account executives um I support the West Coast region. So if any of y'all are West Coast based, you'll probably run into me at some point. Um, And I do a lot of like strategizing with them. Um, I would say my role is probably only like 40% customer basing right now Um, because a lot of it is um, working because my RAEs aren't necessarily fraud. You know, fraud industry experts. Some of them have been in the space for a while. Some of them haven't. So, a lot of what I'm doing is provi- like providing that expertise and helping them figure out like what's the best way to talk to uh, X Y Z merchant about this problem. Like, how can we help them solve it? What makes sense to you know like and does it and doesn't make sense to try and solve that solve it for them or should we, you know, yeah. uh, deflect and maybe push that not push them towards another solution but give them some suggestions or something like that. So. It is like a very consultative role.
0: I think that that's an excellent. That's an excellent way to put it. Like everybody, uh, they solve thing. Like I get a lot of emails from from a lot of vendors. That's like, this is how we can solve your problem. I'm like, well, what if mm-hmm. I don't have a problem that needs solving? Yeah. Like, what if there isn't isn't a solve, or solve isn't the right word? What if I just need some assistance with changing how this thing is done. So I've always hated that we can solve your problem because
1: or managing it. Yeah.
0: That might not like the solving, there might not be a, a solve period and ends- then you just sound like you failed. So managing, it, I think is, is an excellent way to put it. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that that's actually, yeah. And that's a great point. That's actually something that uh, myself and the others on my team who are from the industry kind of help a lot with is the messaging. Cause I know that that is something that, having been on the other side of the table and working uh, with folks in your position for a long time, I know that that's something that doesn't always come across the way that it's intended and impact is different than intent. Right. So how can we like best explain what we can help uh, merchants do without making them feel like everything they've been doing up to this point is a waste of time, because that's yeah. not what it is. And, and even if you eat tomorrow were to, meet with a vendor that solved, or not solved, but like did everything that you're doing today, but better. Like I know that you wouldn't feel like everything you'd been doing up to that point was a waste of time, but the way that the vendor explained it to you might make, make you feel that way. Right. So it's all about strategy.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I get a lot of these, like, exactly. I get a lot of the emails. It's like, yeah, you know, let us take a look at this because we could probably lower your charge back. Yeah. What if you can't? What if what I was doing is already great? You know, like you just don't know. You know, and I think it's it is it's like a slap in the face when I'm approached that way. Like, you have no idea what my business is. You have no yep. idea my my risk pro- profile. Like it's there's not a one size fits all solution. Like we always mm-hmm. say, there's not a sort of bullet. You know, I think there's there's tools that can help and they can help in certain areas, but tools need to be used strategically too. So um, we're, we're we're coming up on the end here. I asked this on the uh, end of all of my podcasts. What are the top three trends that are happening in uh, your world?
1: Um, I think we've kind of touched on the three things that I were top of mind for me already. But to sum up, um, a lot of the merchants that I've been working with are shifting from kind of like the ha- ad hoc tool additions, just like kind of like not, not like a whack-a-mole approach, but. Um, instead of like, oh, I have this problem now or this thing that I need to manage better, I'll, I'll go find another tool to just add into my current stack and shifting more towards, okay, which platform can do the most for me and then supplementing in as needed instead of the, like the other way around, kind of like a generic platform that has a lot of good relationships with other tools and more uh, what can solve or solve or manage my problems most efficiently and as many of them as possible. And then supplementing is needed. I think that's a big one right now, just because, and actually the other, this is because of one of the other things that's top of mind, there's been a, like a really huge diversification, not only in how customers are purchasing, you know, what they're purchasing, when, how, but like also the payment methods, which has opened up a lot of doors for different types of fraud and abuse, um, but also within the fraud ecosystem, so the ways that uh, fraud groups and fraudsters are exploiting and attacking the different weak points, um, things like uh, digital payment fraud, yeah. which is or which can be really convoluted to try and manage um, because of all the different like access and login points. So it's like if it's a PayPal a, a PayPal account fraud, like was the PayPal compromised, or is this a synthetic PayPal account that has fraudulent uh, cards loaded into it? Or is it, you know, like all of the different ways that that type of account could be exploited? So I would say that like diversification of not only the customer, like customer trends, but also the fraud ecosystem is leading to the, like kind of broadening the scope of how merchants are solving the problem.
0: Yeah, I would say like, you know, as we move to this post credit card world, where there's wallets and there's things like PayPal's, there's transfers, Venmo's, those sorts of things um the it's ripe inside those things for like yeah granted they make tokens and they do all that so it's a secure payment but the payment method that's inside that wallet where did that come from who does that really belong to that's where there's these weak spots that, that, and we can't even see as much. Yeah. So
1: prevalent that even like Vice has written articles about it. <laughs> like Vice of all publications. Oh, like, well, Vice. Yeah. Like, Hey, Apple yeah. pay is the easiest to exploit. And it didn't really say how necessarily, but it was like enough that it was like, Hey, if you know where to look to like find this new bot that's been built, like you could <laughs> exploit Apple pay for fraud it was really crazy.
0: There was a, uh there was a time at a company I worked for a long, long time ago that did a promo. If you, when Apple pay was new that if you used Apple pay to check out, you got a $5 uh, credit on your account. And what happened is because Apple wasn't exposing any details to us, just Apple pay at the time. Um, people were just using the same Apple pay. Right. Across a ton of different accounts. Yep. It just ripping us for $5 on mm-hmm. like one single account. It was a, uh, not a good time. I, I was able to finally get. I was able to finally mm-hmm. get the token on the back end and able to do some velocity counting on that. So that was long, long time back in the day. But yeah. And then um, one other one. You got any anything else? On there? I think there was two. Or Was there? Was that three? I'm just bad at counting.
1: Um, I would say like specific trends. I have been. I have that was two, maybe one and a half because they're related, but I would say two. Um, and then the other one that's a little bit more specific just because I've been talking to a lot of merchants about it lately is, well, a lot of merchants that have a specific model where either it's like they do um, like $0 offs at um, like payment method changes or account signups or uh, merchants who have like really inexpensive items and in particular merchants who have like nested iframes where payment be- uh, method details are typically hidden from any other tools the
0: payment page.
1: Yeah. Um, the so card page testing says, yeah. has been, has come up a lot more frequently than it has probably in the last like three or four years of my career combined.
0: It's, it's so funny because card testing on $0 authorizations is what literally got me into this industry. No, no, way. Way more than a decade ago, it was the first time I ever saw a scheme at the like this other merchant I was working at, and it's it's the same thing. Like everything yeah. just comes in in a big giant circle of ways because like we move on to a new a new type of fraud, and then we forget about the one, and then we start seeing it again. And the same thing with ATOs. Yeah. Like ATOs four years ago was all we could talk exactly. about, exactly. And then we started focusing back on these refunds and these rewards situations. And now ATOs are back again. So (laughs) it just keeps happening. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And it's it's like every time it circles back around, there's something different enough about it that it feels like like it's it's something we
0: haven't seen before. They changed those schemes a little bit. That's why static rules didn't work anymore. And we had to start getting with these dynamic rules and this machine learning stuff.
1: Oh, trust me. I know.
0: (laughs) So that is probably going to put us at time. Time there, we, we're going a little long. I don't want uh, anybody's drive. I don't want them sitting in their parking lot at work. So, continuing the list, them up. we keep talking. This has been a, an excellent, yeah, my, talk.
1: my riveting rambles.
0: Hey, I think this was this was a fantastic conversation. You know, yeah. to learn about you, where you came from, what these companies do, how they're positioned in the market. Uh, I'll put your contact details in the description. Uh, I'll oh, thanks. Your company details in there, so that way uh, you know we can uh, people know how to find you. Um, i want to thank you for for taking the time i know um you're very busy um and i'm asking a lot of people when they do this podcast and thank you for being so eager to to help me out with that uh yeah it's it's really appreciated
1: sure it's been a long time overdue i feel like since the day yeah yeah, no problem i feel like since the day i met you you were like i need to do a fraud podcast so i feel like this has been a long time it's here now (laughs) and
0: i see everybody else is jumping on too a couple other ones starting up, like with some some uh, vendors are starting them. You know, like it's uh it's going to be a very thick space for a little bit in the the fraud podcast world. But yeah, uh, I'm going to keep trucking. I'm going to keep doing my thing, keep talking to my guests. Uh, just so everybody knows, I have some some interesting episodes coming up in the future. We're going to do some uh, management episodes, talk about different styles of management with a learning and, and development uh, person that used to be. Uh, at a large, uh, network. Um, and also going to be doing some, uh, product ones, uh, at some of our uh, favorite vendors in the space too. So everybody stay tuned for those. Uh, also planning on having an HR episode, talk about some of the woes that people are seeing in the recruiting process, um, as well as some diversity and inclusion episodes, which is uh, a very hot topic over the last couple of years. want to talk about what we're seeing in, in the market, uh, as far as recruiting goes with those, those things in mind as well. So everybody, please stick around, uh, many more episodes to come and Cambria. Thanks again for being my guest today. I really appreciate
1: it. Sure. Take care. It was great talking to you.